Okay, everyone. I uh, we might have had a disruption in recording. If uh, if we are restarting, you know, we said this before. We do this we do this live. So if we're restarting, welcome to IPA's Board of Pharmacy What, Why, and How podcast. If we're not restarting, apologies for reiterating what you're listening to, but that never hurts. We're joined by Sue Mears from the Board of Pharmacy. We're going to dive right into the agenda and what the board uh, did at today's meeting. Uh, one of those actions was the discussion and vote to designate board representatives as lobbyists. This is something the board does every year. Last year, the board designated not just Andrew Funk, the executive director of the board, but also Brett Baker, uh, Brett Baker, excuse me, Brett Barker, chair of the board as lobbyists, and they did a great job. And so no surprise, the board uh, designated them as lobbyists again. Uh, and I think there was a uh, plenty of uh, willing participants to let Brett and Andrew handle that from looking around the board seat. So I'm sure they'll do a great job again uh, next session. Speaking of session, Sue, I, you know, we've talked about this bill a little bit, but maybe uh, because the board discussed it uh, again today, do you want to just talk briefly on one of the pieces of legislation the board plans on introducing related to pharmacy practice? Yeah, sure. Um, this this proposed bill this year doesn't really have a whole lot in it, but hopefully will be really impactful. Um, and it really gets to the heart of the issue of nurses being involved in uh, pharmacy um, activities as far as immunizations and then um, point of care testing and, and protocol uh, activities. So what the board is looking to do is to amend the Nursing Practice Act to allow um, nurses to engage in their trained activities pursuant to the order of a licensed pharmacist as authorized by then the Pharmacy Act then which would add um, a section that would say that registered nurses may practice under the order of a pharmacist in the administration of vaccines and immunizations and in the utilization of statewide protocols without obtaining a separate registration from the board. So I think that would be really helpful um, so that nurses could do what they do best um, under, under the direction of the pharmacists who are um, ordering and administering items under their authority without having dual registrations. Right, it's one of those just common sense things that there yeah. might, there's a barrier in law now that I mean, obviously, you know, for example, immunizations, we know nurses are very capable of administering immunizations, but they can only do so right now underneath the authority of a, of a physician. So yeah. let's, let's find ways to ensure that those nurses that have helped fill those gaps in pharmacies and provide great care can do so. So hopefully um, we can find success in moving that through. And it sounds like um, the Board of Nursing is behind that as well, which is great. So um, that uh, that should be a, in, hopefully an answer to, to some of the barriers that exist right now. Moving into rules, Sue, like I said, quite a few adoption uh, and filings of rules. Do you want to talk briefly, or, or doesn't have to be briefly, I suppose, on the adoption and filing to amend Chapter 3, Chapter 8, and Chapter 20? And I think this is implementing uh, two pieces of legislation that were passed last session? Yeah, yep, it does. So this, um, the board did vote to adopt this rulemaking, so it will be filed and that will be effective um, in a, you know, a month and a half or so. And so this implements the board's pharmacy practice bill last year, House File 550, 
514, and then in part IPA's bill, Senate File 296. And so the key components of this rulemaking is that it allows for the renewal or the reactivation of a technician trainee registrant who wasn't able to get nationally certified during that initial year of their trainee registration gives them an additional year. So the, the intent of this is just to get to those technicians who had exceptional circumstances, not just because they just dilly-dallied and didn't get nationally certified. It's that they had something that really impacted their ability to get that national certification. Um, so that will go into place and we'll have an opportunity for them to renew or reactivate that registration to give them another year of training. And then for pharmacies that are involved in compounding human products and shipping those out of the state, it will require that they report to the NABP information sharing network about that compounding data so that the board will be in compliance with the FDA MOU that they signed previously. Um, it also gets to um, deals with the statewide protocols um, that are already in existence and where we have in the rules, we have those training and education requirements, takes them out of the rule, puts them just directly in the, in the protocols themselves um, so that the board has a little bit more um, quick response time to just update protocols and not have to go through the whole rulemaking process since um, they've done the whole rulemaking process in the first round of protocols. So they've gotten, you know, the legislative input, the governor's input, the, the stakeholder input yeah. for what those training requirements should include for protocols. So that gives the board, I think, a good basis for understanding moving forward as they get no, new protocol authorizations to know what the expectations are and just put them right into the protocol. Um, and then with moving um, those rules out, um, then we needed to create a new rule just to speak to those patient-specific prescriptions yeah. for administration of vaccines and medications um, so that, that those requirements are still there in their own rule. And then updates the language about pilot demonstration research projects. Great. Well, some, definitely some helpful pieces there and understand the benefit in allowing the board to update those protocols Mm -hmm. some flexibility when needed. Um, not that the rulemaking process is responsive, but it takes some time. And yep. um, I, I think that's a great step by the board. So the next rule that I thought we would discuss deals with the identification of an interim pharmacist or PIC, uh, pharmacist in charge, uh, when a permanent pharmacist is vacating, the not vacating the position, mm -hmm. but out for an extended leave of absence. So. Yeah kind of a specific change here, but something that seems like it would be helpful or maybe help remove uh, a potential problem that was occurring. Do you want to talk about this rule? Yeah, yeah, this is a great change, I think, for the board. It's something that the board has, um, you know, has dealt with the last many years where you've got a permanent pick is not vacating the position, but they're out of the pharmacy on an extended leave. And they may be not comfortable with having that responsibility of being picked Well, they're going to be gone for so long, but yet, you know, the pharmacy doesn't want to officially change the license with the license um, application and fee. So this gives pharmacies the opportunity to just identify an interim pick um, that doesn't formally change the license. It just identifies somebody else that's the primary contact person that's overseeing the operation of the pharmacy in that interim time. And so when the board had originally noticed the language, they had suggested a 90-day limitation on that 
um, interim position. Um, and during the public comment period, uh, the board did receive some comments that recommended extending that to at least 120 days. And so that um, those suggestions were accepted and the board did adopt then the rule that would allow an interim pick to serve for 120 days. That's great. I'm, I'm picturing, and maybe this was the intent or wasn't the intent, but maternity and paternity leaves. Yep. You know, and you're the pick. You don't necessarily, yeah, like you said, want that responsibility at that time. And from yeah. a patient safety perspective, it's probably better to have that interim designated, I would think, too. So yeah. Another, like you said, this is a, this seems like a very positive change and a good, yeah. a good solution. So that's no, that's great. And that was adopted and filed. So like yep. you said, probably a month and a half, maybe. Yeah. Date. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that'll be maybe interesting. two two months at the outset, probably. Yeah. When that's utilized. Yeah. Maybe jumping ahead, Sue, to a notice of intended action dealing with telepharmacy. Um, and this, I believe, was in response to, was it one of the five-year reviews of the chapter? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so the board, you know, is required by law to go through all of their administrative rules every five years. And so chapter 13 was just due for its um, five-year review. And in anticipation or in advance of the board looking at this chapter, uh, we put out a request for um, just feedback from the outset to see what, what people thought needed to be or could be changed about this chapter. And so the board did get, um, I think it was four um, pre-comments um, with suggestions. And, and one of the, I think three of the four comments had suggested that the board should consider allowing PSPs to practice or to work in a telepharmacy location. Um, so that is something that is part of this notice to allow PSPs to work at a telepharmacy location and it would require or establish requirements for registration and training. And it also would reduce the notification period for termination of a written agreement between a managing pharmacy and a telepharmacy site from 90 days to 45 days. Um, and it gets rid of duplicated rules. So within the chapter currently, there are rules that you know, require a, a CQI report. Well, every pharmacy has to have a CQI report. So they don't, don't need to have that in both, um, in both places. So we looked at where could we get rid of rules that don't need to be duplicated because um, now that telepharmacies are more established, we've been around for a while, um, just need to, um, they know what the rules are for general pharmacies and, and it doesn't need to be in both places. And then it also allows, um, the board to establish a committee to consider requests for the for an exemption to the technician practice experience requirements in exceptional circumstances, um, which may otherwise result in the closure of the telepharmacy. And where this comes from is we've had instances where a telepharmacy technician um, leaves their position. And so the managing pharmacy and telepharmacy site, they're kind of in a bind to find a new technician that has that has met all of the training requirements or can meet them in the time that they need to get that telepharmacy technician in place at the telepharmacy working. Um, so, um, you know, there's the waiver process, but that that takes, you know, the full board and a full board meeting and, and the timing of that doesn't always work out to get a waiver before the board, before the telepharmacy needs a technician in there. Um, 
And so they might otherwise have to close. So this would allow the board some flexibility to have a committee to take a look at those um, outside of the, the waiver process if the timing wouldn't work for a waiver. Gotcha. Well, certainly I know it seems like the, the PSP and telepharmacy uh, issue, but topic has, has been around for a couple of years. So that seems like a, a good move. So front end support and yeah. I know you know everyone's dealing with some workforce difficulties right now but a lot of uh, especially rural pharmacies and hiring and retaining technicians and I could see this potentially helping with that retaining piece or more so addressing some of the difficulties in retaining um, if it if that situation arises where right. the, you know keeping that telepharmacy open is potentially jeopardized so uh, hopefully some some solutions here to help with both of those issues so that rule is noticed and uh, will be open for comment. So if anyone is interested, certainly take a look, um, but otherwise uh, it looks like a good step forward from the board. So those were sort of the big items on my list. I might just note too, I, we, we talked about it beforehand and didn't want to cause confusion, but um, the differences in the emergency rulemaking process and um, standard rulemaking process, the you may recall from some of our past podcasts that the board had uh, issued and adopted emergency rules for technician immunizations, and that was finalized and in place. So it's being utilized. The, the standard sort of double barrel part of that, yeah. then the standard notice is also um, being adopted by the board too. Um, doesn't change anything from my understanding, correct, Sue? Well, it, it could if, if during the right. normal rulemaking process, if there were things that, you know, if the, if the, um, the rulemaking, the language got changed for whatever reason during the, the normal um, public comment process, then once they adopted it, it would then change the rule. But in this case, there were no changes to what had been emergency adopted back gotcha. over the summer. And, you know, part of the, as far as the double barrel, part of the um, the reason or the allowance that the um, legislators give for an agency to emergency adopt rules is the understanding that then they will take those same rules and go through the normal process to get that feedback from the general public and the stakeholders to make sure that, um, that it, it is all well. So that Safe was that own. normal process. And yeah. Well, that makes sense. And Glad to hear uh, that it's gone. Sounds like it's gone pretty well, at least. Yeah. So that's great. Well, Sue, thank you again for your time. I, I should say to all of our faithful listeners, whoever you are out there, that this is my last podcast. I will be moving on from IPA, but uh, we'll I, I think the plan is to continue uh, whether Sue likes it or not. <laughs> But um, it, it'll likely be a, a different uh, representative from IP on the other end. But we appreciate you always tuning in. And Sue, I don't know, have the meetings been scheduled for 2022 yet? Are I you think gonna so. Be next? I think oh. so. Well, either way, it's next year for the next podcast. Then, right? Yeah, I think it's, I want to say January 9, 10, but don't quote me on that. Oh, that sounds right. That sounds right. Well, somewhere in there. We, uh, I will not come to you then, but uh, I imagine Sue will be here and, and IPA will bring the podcast forward. But thank you for listening. As always, reach out if you have any questions about what we talked about today. Um, but hopefully this was helpful and, and you can take these and uh, soon implement these changes into your practice. So thank you, Sue. And thank you everyone for listening.